Hello and welcome to the 318 Safeguarding Podcast. I'm Peter Wright, Head of Communications at the charity 318. Thank you again uh, very much for joining me today. We're continuing this series of conversations exploring our Safer Places Pledge, which we launched at the beginning of 2020, which gives organisations and individuals a way of publicly committing themselves to be part of the change in the way that society responds to victims and survivors of abuse. The pledge contains six statements, and today we'll be exploring the fourth pledge statement, which is all about taking responsibility. And I'm delighted to again be joined by Justin Humphreys, our CEO, and by our guest today, Dr. Amy Orr-Ewing, speaker, author, theologian, and senior fellow with the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. So welcome to you both. Thank you. Hi. Good to be Thanks back for joining us. Yeah, it's good to be talking about these issues again, isn't it? And sort of expanding upon um, some of these really important um, topics. We'll dive straight in. So Justin, if I can come to you first. So in the safeguarding world, we have this mantra that safeguarding is everyone's responsibility. We say it so often. It forms part of our Safeguarding Sunday campaign, which we've recently run. Um, and I think we all kind of understand what we're trying to say and what it means. Um, but what makes this so challenging for us when we come to the particularly trying to apply that to the way that we work in safeguarding? Well, I think there's a whole range of things that we probably need to be aware of um, when we say that it's everybody's responsibility. I mean, clearly there are those in our churches and organisations for whom there is a specific and particular responsibility, you know, our safeguarding leads, um, our leaders. Um, but then thinking about how we translate that to, let's say, um, our congregations at large or those within our communities. And all of a sudden it takes on a slightly different shape, doesn't it? Um, and how we, we communicate that need, how we onboard people to thinking about the role that they play is critical to how we might create safer places. Now, that's going to be different for, for everybody, but unless everybody has at least a basic understanding and awareness of the need to create safer places, they're not going to know how they may play a part in that. Uh, and I think that is one of the key challenges that we often fall into the trap of thinking, oh, well, safeguarding, that that's the realm of that person over there. And, and I don't need to worry particularly about it. Um, and whilst um, that may be true to a point, I think it misses an opportunity for us all to engage, to empower uh, those who, who may have particular vulnerabilities or for whom there may be particular risks um, to say, uh, look, we, we're in this together and, and we do all have a part to play. Um, in in creating that safer environment, Amy, what do you think about that? I mean, this this idea that it's everyone's responsibility that it's not just a certain person or a certain role that has responsibility for this. Yeah, what, I mean, I what think, are your views um, on that? Yeah, I think that it's really critical that that is communicated at every level of an organisation because there are certain aspects of faith communities, in particular that lend themselves to people thinking, or, um, you know, the authority figure or the person with the title who's been on the course, that's their job and, you know, I shouldn't speak into it. And actually to create safe spaces, we need people who might have something to disclose or who've seen something even slightly off to actually feel safe, to come forward and, and say what they've observed and seen. 
in in my experience, things have gone where things have gone wrong. There are actually quite a lot of people who had a really small piece of the puzzle, mm. and on its own, it didn't amount to there's a threat here or a really big serious thing. And often, as as Christians, people who had that tiny piece thought it's not my place to bring an accusation. I haven't got enough evidence to bring an accusation. You know, I, don't, I wouldn't like to, to gossip. So, mm. so you know, I, I'm going to think better thoughts about the, the person the person involved. And, and so actually the collective information that the community has together can be lost. And, you know, it's good intentions. It's, it's a good thing not to gossip, but we need to empower people to... to be able to bring the information that they that they do have um, in a way that is kind of morally right and good, that isn't creating cultures of suspicion, but is creating a culture of openness. Mm. Yeah, so I think to be aware of, of the predisposition of people of faith in particular, to think well of people and to think that you always should think well of people and suppress negative thoughts rather than be safe or know what the channel is to bring maybe even just the absolutely tiny glimpse of a red flag and to do it in an honouring and safe way. And if it isn't part of a bigger picture, no big deal. But if it is, actually you've really contributed to, to the safety of the community. I was really interested in the, at the point that you made there, uh, Amy, about um, gossip. and uh, How often have we heard um, that being the challenge um, oh, don't 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 speak badly or negatively of that person. It, it's indulging in gossip, um, damages their reputation, the reputation of the ministry or the gospel more broadly. Um, so there's something really um, important, I think, yeah. about um, making sure that the the conversations that are being had are, as you say, honouring appropriate being held with the appropriate people yes. knowing who those people are um, but creating environments in which it is okay and even encouraged to share what we might call low level concerns yes exactly. you know, so not waiting for it to become the huge yeah. issue before we yeah. all feel oh my goodness I, I should have said something before or you know um dealing with low level concerns in an appropriate way is one of the real keys to um to improving this situation isn't it yeah and i guess creating a context then of of leaders modeling that and of saying you know we actually want to hear feedback about how we and our teams may may be coming across and so mm -hmm. um you know it's not a sort of career ending thing for someone to bring mm -hmm. a low level concern and you know a, a leader then perhaps be able to take that person aside and say you know we need to work on this together mm -hmm. yeah I mean, I love what you were saying earlier about this being about community, because I think that is a word that is so important, particularly when it comes to church. And I think the church is, has such an opportunity to, uh, when it comes to thinking about what it means to be community, but also how it, how it works and behaves in the context of wider community. Um, the church you know, is probably unparalleled by any other organisational network with the way that it, it can engage with the community across the UK. And I guess with that comes a huge responsibility as well, doesn't it, to engage with communities in a way that are safe and that truly encourage flourishing uh, for all who come into contact with us. So I guess what I'm trying to think about is what does it look like in a church 
that has often so many different diverging opinions on so many key issues to come together as community and take responsibility together. Mm. Um, well, for me, I think a sort of really foundational um, theological idea that I would want everyone to be really familiar with and sort of richly immersed in would be the idea of the image of God, that all human beings are created in the image of God. And that means that every person's life has a transcendent source, that every person has a sort of sacred dignity and is precious to God. And mm. that is true whether a person believes in God or not, whether the choices they make um, in life, whether they've committed a crime, you know, whether whether they live morally in a different way from how the church would, would see or whether they follow a different faith or no faith at all. Every person is an image bearer. And if our interaction with community does not reflect that from, you know, the way we look at a person to the, our non-verbal communication of their value to what we say to and about them, you know, the services we as the church offer in community all needs to be kind of drenched in that imago, imago dei um, richness of that truth. And mm. um where that happens it's just so beautiful and so precious um but often we can have i think in the church kind of confusion doctrinal confusion actually that you know maybe if we express that sacredness of life and might people might have a doctrinal confusion that we agree with everything they say or do mm. or um the way they operate or live and um, I think that that fear is unfounded, but it needs to be addressed. And actually, maybe our kind of safeguarding conversations or context where that can be addressed. We, we can hold to the truth of scripture about all kinds of things, you know, the nature of Christ, what it really means to follow him, you know, desire to live a holy life and all of that and hold to the image of God. The scriptures hold those two things together. Um, so I think, the, yeah, I, I would want to sort of start with this sort of a, a theological point. And then I guess um, just one other thing, I'm sure Justin's got way more to say about this, but I think to be honest about um, the potential weaknesses in our own systems that might come about as a result of particular theological convictions. So let's say, for example, we have a theological conviction about um, the role of women in leadership. Um, and that's based on a particular set of interpretations of scripture. And, you know, so let's say we're complementarian, which I'm not, I'm egalitarian, but let's say we, we did subscribe to that theological view. Then we need to be honest that, um, that that theological view about who can preach and teach and who can actually have overall leadership for church, that there's a danger around that that women's voices at other levels in other discussions and just reflected in who we are as a community might be lost and that would be a huge loss um, in safeguarding and I think similar things could be said around sexuality as well that we reflect deeply about what our theological convictions are and we're honest about the safeguarding weaknesses that that might um, lend our community to and that we do something to it to really address that. I think those are um, such important reflections, Amy. And um, 
make, making sure that we we get to a point where we uh, have our our eyes wide open, if you like, to those areas of challenge um, and potential difficulty, as you explained, is um, is such a critical part of this. So. In much of the work that 318 does, working with churches, with organisations, particularly around their cultures and how those cultures may uh, encourage safer practice and where there may be elements of those cultures supported by beliefs, attitudes and behaviours which may not be as helpful as, as they could, um, that, that the degree to which we can... Um, see those for what they are mm. um, and I think it, it's not about saying well um, if we hold to this doctrinal position we are we are going to be forever held up as an example of how not to do things or forever mm. criticized and um, because let's face it um, no no environment no community no organization is free from the risk of harm and abuse mm. um, but having our eyes open to where difficulties may occur mm. is is the place to start, isn't it? And um, you know, any any sense that that individuals are are not seen uh, with equal value uh, in the eyes of God and therefore in our own um, is one of those areas where where we will start to see um, imbalances in power dynamics, in attitudes, beliefs, and ultimately in behaviours. So we just need to be alert to that. So we've just been speaking there about, I think, two really important words, fear and honesty, and the combination of those two. Um, but sometimes it is such a challenge, isn't it, to... Um, to be really honest and to uh, confront the fear. I know both individually, um, but also corporately as a body of, of people. Um, and Amy and Justin, I know both of you have had some experience with um, challenging some really uh, difficult injustices, uh, difficult areas um, where organizations um, are perhaps needing to have courageous conversations around this difficult stuff. Um, I wonder whether you could share some insight really as to, um, maybe how we can overcome some of those challenges, how we can um, speak truth to power, um, but also use our own influence uh, for the good of others. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's a massive question. And um, for me, as someone who worked within a global organisation um, called RZIM, founded by Rabbi Zacharias, he was unmasked as a, a serial abuser and predator um, after his death. Um, that's a very, very poignant and personal question. Um, mm. I think there were all sorts of dynamics of fear in play around um, around bringing a challenge to this uh, abuser. Um, and where, uh, for me, one of the big issues was as I was beginning to bring challenges, that was that one was actually in the dark about whether one's worst fear and actually my worst fear wasn't anywhere near what turned out to be true but but you were in the dark about whether it was true or not and so mm. one of the fears particularly coming from you know an evangelical culture bible believing you know jesus loving culture is that one wants to honor a leader one wants to honor an elder one wants to honor someone who sacrificed a lot for the gospel you know there's always this 
projection of you know we're fearful of becoming too arrogant or wise in our own eyes you know when you're in your 40s okay you've got 20 years experience but here you're you're challenging potentially someone with a lot of experience Mm. what do you know Mm. so that's that's sort of in play and actually in your own mind you really don't know at all whether this is right um and so so there's a huge fear around that and then um just I guess fear in the wider culture of of a sense of sort of retaliation um, against you for asking questions that were really actually you know turned out were pointing in the right direction Mm. Um, you didn't know that but 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 there's all this kind of retaliation and how can you say even imply something like that about a godly person and the whole thing about gossip being invoked if you discussed it with anyone else you know you're a terrible evil disloyal person and so um trying to even at that point not even necessarily raise substantial evidence to challenges even just raising the right questions was Mm. was um was enormously difficult um and looking back and what I would want to say to anyone in finding themselves in a similar situation is that that is a red flag and I didn't know that at the time that that was a red flag because I understood that in our church culture you know honor of and respect for and loyalty to a leader is a good thing and that I didn't know there could be a really dark side to that um so um yeah I think that that would be the first thing I would say and I think that that's so important Amy that it, it's not to, uh, to to destroy the the respect uh, that we we should hold our leaders and, and, and elders in um, but that realization that um, there is always the possibility for any of us mm. to um, to to behave badly to uh, unwittingly, harm other people through the things that we say and do uh, in th- this um we talk about the myth of homogeneity uh, that says someone is either all good or all mm. bad while the reality is none of us um you know fall to, to either end of that that spectrum um we are all capable of both um and as you as i think you you were saying um even the culture that puts our leaders and elders beyond question mm-hmm. is is i agree with you absolutely a red flag in itself so you know it's only the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse uh, whilst looking at um, the anglican church and that's not to single them out particularly but a good example given of where where deference a culture of deference actually, yeah. um kind of um it actually cuts across a true sense of honor, doesn't it? Because it's required, it's almost enforced mm-hmm. rather than earned, um, mutually um, given, received. And there's something really different there, isn't it, that plays into a very unhelpful power dynamic. Yeah. I would just, I suppose, add one thing, and this might sound a bit dramatic too, but I think that the church has been proven to be a context in which really serious abusers are able to take refuge and Mm. are able to be leading Mm. whilst they're abusing. 
And, you know, we only need to look at John Smythe and Jonathan Fletcher and Rabbi Zacharias as, mm. as three examples. We can't just say, oh, it's, you know, mm. the Catholics or it's the Methodists yeah. or Anglicans yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It's it's actually seems to be across, across the board. And I think there is a difference between a person, a leader who makes mistakes and hurts people and even abuses power um, who can sort of be corrected and needs to be corrected and, um, you know, needs to, to repent and change. And someone who is actually a predator mm-hmm. and is a is a serial abuser, and that is not a mistake. That is yeah. you know, deeply, deeply intentional. And unmasking that um, is, is different. So, you mm-hmm. know, your kind of accountability structures eventually – um, can can kind of catch all of this sort of behaviour, but a really really good predator knows those structures and and is is you know wily about avoiding them. And I, yeah. I think I was quite naive. I think um, I just found it so hard to believe that someone I knew really quite well and someone who had you know, really amazing doctrine and appeared to be a very kind of loving and sacrificial person could also be an abuser. And this is just a cognitive dissonance. Mm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And, and our uh, propensity to, um, to fear looking into the abyss, if I can use that, yeah. that analogy, um, and and the consequent behavior is well we'll we'll just push that under the carpet and we'll 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 do our very best to avoid having to deal with what we suspect might be going on here you know for a variety of reasons but ultimately the longer uh, we we shove those things under the carpet and refuse to deal with them that the greater the trip hazard becomes and yeah. the greater damage is oh, done as a consequence yeah. um so Yes, of course, it's going to be really difficult and require some extremely courageous conversations uh, on the part of people who who have concerns, suspicions uh, and allegations to bring forward. Um, And the bravery required by those people is uh, is enormous. So the extent to which our cultures enable that to happen uh, is is all important here, isn't it? But I think we. We have to get to a point where we're prepared to tackle the tough stuff. Yeah. Um, and I suppose at least a beginning point of that is actually cognitively believing that it is possible. Yeah. And um, for, for a lot of the people who ended up being involved in being whistleblowers and supporting mm. victims in the context that I was in, that's a that's a Rubicon you just have to cross, you know, mm-hmm. and that's going to mean probably loss of job and income and friends and reputation and all of that. And that's nothing compared to what the victims um, yeah. lose. And there's actually a really, so that's kind of the bad side of it. There's also a really beautiful side to it, which is that God loves and cares for his imaged creation. And yeah. there's something really, really beautiful and redemptive and powerful about speaking the truth and calling for justice for where mm. great evil mm. has been done. And so I think my experience would be not to fear for the reputation of the church if this kind of thing mm. comes out, because 
you know, God doesn't need us to cover the sins within the church for the sake of his reputation. Yeah. Actually something really, really beautiful and powerful and redemptive can happen when, when the truth comes out and when voices, including powerful voices begin to stand alongside victims and, and call for change and accountability and, and justice. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. I mean, we, we've, we've spent quite a lot of time thinking about the negative side of a failure to take responsibility, but wouldn't it just be lovely just for a moment to think, well, where, where it does happen, where it does work, the degree to which that is empowering um, and, um, and a much truer reflection of what God called his church to be. Wouldn't Absolutely. it be lovely just to, <laughs> Just to dwell on that for a moment. Yes. What, what a brilliant point! A brilliant point to end on. I, our time has run out today, but I, I did just want to say thank you, Justin, so much, and Amy, especially to you two for sharing with us today, and bringing your really useful insights on this topic. Amy, particularly speaking so honestly about your experience, um, we're really grateful to you for joining us to do that. For those of you listening to this today, I hope you found this helpful. You can, of course, learn more about the pledge on our website at 318.org forward slash pledge. Equally, if anything that we've talked about today has impacted you, if you want to talk to someone, then our helpline is also available and you can call us on 0303 and talk to us about your concerns or any thoughts you might have about this issue. Uh, do join us again for our next podcast, which will be out very soon. Thank you for joining us and goodbye. Mm-hmm.